You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Today is Friday, November 15th. Uh, the time of this recording, Nest Talk episode 53, is about 12.40 in the afternoon. And we've got a lot to talk about this week. Obviously, the Ravens made a whole bunch of roster moves. Um, some interesting things happened in the NFL. And we will, of course, get to the Miles Garrett story. If you did not watch Thursday Night Football, um, congratulations because you missed you know, one of the most gruesome moments I think, ever in NFL history, one of the most inexcusable moments in NFL history between uh, Miles Garrett and some Steelers players. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. But first, of course, we want to hit some housekeeping items. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or iTunes, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, like us on YouTube, rate us on iTunes. It always helps other people find the podcast and, of course, helps me get the feedback of what you guys are looking for. Um, if you have any questions for any episodes, we don't have any questions this week, but if you do have any questions for any of the next week's episodes or things you want me to talk about, leave it in the comments section of the YouTube channel or tweet me at Nest Talk. Um, of course, you can find us at Nest Talk. You can also find us at Be More Feather for the Baltimore Feathers Twitter page. And of course, you can find us on Facebook as well. Just hit up um, the Baltimore Feather or uh, Nest Talk on Facebook, which we will get to in this episode as well. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Um, this episode of Nest Talk is sponsored by Property Inspection Pros. Purchasing a home can be stressful and rife with uncertainty. Property Inspection Pros aims to remove all doubt and smooth the acquisition process with thorough, professional service. Their certified professional inspectors provide thorough assessments of every area of the home, then issue a detailed, comprehensive digital report within 24 hours of the inspection. They offer superior convenience and customer service with inspections scheduled on Sunday and during evening hours in addition to standard daytime appointments. With over 200 five-star reviews, it's no wonder why they're Baltimore's best-rated home inspection service. Call them today at 410-709-8144 or go to the website at mdinspectionpros.com. That's 410-709-8144 or mdinspectionpros.com. And our other sponsor for today's episode is none other than our affiliate partner, FOCO.com. We have a great deal for all Ravens Flock members and all of our listeners to get 10% off of every purchase on the FOCO website. And to do that, all you have to do is go on to FOCO, make your order, and when you check out, use the promo code or coupon code FEATHER10. That's FEATHER with the number 10 at the end, and you get 10% off your entire purchase. Um, so we're really happy to bring that to you. They've got a lot of great um, Ravens merch, Orioles merch, NBA, NL, NHL, even NCAA. They got it all. So go on to FOCO.com, use promo code FEATHER10 for 10% off your entire purchase. So thank you to our sponsors for today's episode. And of course, I want to get right into the Ravens news. We have a ton of news to get over through today. Um, and the first thing we need to talk about is the flurry of moves the Baltimore Ravens made um, on Tuesday. Um, the Ravens made six transactions on Tuesday. That's that's a lot, six. And I actually wasn't even aware this was going on until after it happened, which is kind of unfortunate because then I had to spend quite a while um, looking back in time trying to figure out what the Ravens did. 
but there are I, I, overall, I am I am appreciative of these moves from Eric DaCosta. I think they're the right moves to have the Ravens make, and we'll talk about each and every one, all six of them, and essentially go into what I like about them, what I don't, and what it means for the Baltimore Ravens. And the first is the Ravens brought in Damata Pecco, um, the longtime Bengal. So he's a player that many Ravens fans might already be acquainted with. Now, Damata Pecco, um, I believe, spent 10 years with the Cincinnati Bengals, and after those 10 years in Cincinnati, he moved on to Denver. Actually, it's 11 years in Cincinnati from 2006 to 2016. That's actually 11 years. Uh, moved on to Denver after that year. Um, and in Denver, you know, he did well but wasn't the same player he was in Cincinnati, you know, um, not the star of the show. Now, D'Amato Pecco brings a veteran presence to the Baltimore Ravens. That's key for this Ravens defensive line. They are looking for guys who can come in and give depth. Um, you know, and, and be able to plug and play pretty quickly, and that's what a veteran on this defensive line might do. Now, the Ravens wanted him earlier in the season when I think Brandon Williams, if I remember correctly, was dealing with some injuries. They thought Damata Pecco might be the option, and they were not able to get him. I think that's where Ufamba Kamalu came in, but I could be wrong on that. Please correct me if I am wrong. Um, but now they bring him in on a $1 million deal, that's according to Tom Pelissero, to be that veteran in the group. And the Ravens need some help here because, you know, they have a pretty good run defense this year. It's not the best in the NFL, but it's pretty darn good compared to the rest of how the defense was performing, especially earlier in the year. But, you know, the Ravens had to put Dalen Mack on the IR, which is one of the uh, moves we will talk about, right? And Michael Pierce is currently dealing with an injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. So the Ravens need some help to to increase their depth on the defensive line unit if they don't, they're going to be in big trouble moving forward. But this move right here, I think, um, really helps him out because Pecco is a plug-and-play player. He knows how to how to um, fit into any defensive scheme. Essentially, you know, being such a longtime veteran, 13 years in the league prior to this, um, and you know, his transition from Cincinnati to Denver. Obviously, it was not the cornerstone of that defense in Denver, but he was still a big part of it, and that's that's important to have um, when you're looking for a veteran to to essentially replace Pierce or somebody along that line for an extended period of time. Now, after Pecco, the Ravens went out and got another defensive tackle, so they were really stocking up on some of these moves. Um, And I like the Pecco move, but I'm not really so sure about this move here. Now, I like it just because I think it has potential to be um, very productive for the Ravens, this player. But, you know, signing two defensive tackles when when you're really looking for one here, um, you know, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, especially because the guy, one of the guys they cut, Ufamba Kamalu, um, he he was never active for a game. So, you know, I, I don't know why they're just going to replace him for someone else. He's probably going to be inactive, and Justin Ellis, Jelly is his nickname, um, but we'll see. Now, now he, he earns this nickname. He's 6'2", 350, so he's a big, big dude. Um, he was a Raider from 2014 to 2018. Um, and he did okay. He was never a, you know, really good starter for the Oakland Raiders. He was a starter for 14 games is his max per year. Um, that was in 2014 and 2017. He's dealt with injuries, of course. Um, and he was actually placed on the injured reserve at the beginning of this year. I think it was the offseason, technically. Um, and he was cut from the injured reserve. That's how he ended up in Baltimore being able to sign with the Ravens. Um, over the course of his career, he's got you know um, five years under his belt, not including this year because he didn't play it all this year so far. But he's got um, 80 solo tackles, 39 assists, six tackles for loss, three quarterback hits, 
one sack and two pass deflections both in the first two years of his career what do I think about Justin Ellis though you know he's he's not as good as Pecco but he's still gonna be a depth player I think he'll probably fill the same role that Ufamba Kamalu filled when he was with the Ravens essentially that inactive defensive tackle just on the roster in case the Ravens need to get another D tackle at some point they can elevate him I don't know why they decided to cut Kamalu for Ellis but that was the decision. I think Ellis was actually cut in late October, so maybe he wasn't available when the Ravens went and got Kamalu. Um, but I'm not so sure how much of an upgrade this is. At least he does have a lot of game experience, but those injuries, you know, they're there. Um, but the thing about the injuries, though, is if it's if he's only here for a short period of time for the remainder of this year, you know, using him and hoping he doesn't get injured, you're more likely to have him stay healthy than he would be, um, you know, if you're trying to use him as a full-time starter, which the Ravens are not. They want to use him either as a rotational player, but my hunch really is the other side of that coin, um, being a depth player that's going to be mainly inactive for most of his games as a Baltimore Raven, just somebody on the roster they can activate should they need an extra defensive lineman in any given game. Um, the final addition the Ravens made to the active 53-man roster is Eamon Marshall. Now, Eamon Marshall was designated to return a few weeks ago, and here he is. He's being activated for the first time. Not sure if he's going to play, you know, being active in games, but he's activated to the 53-man roster. For those of you that don't remember, Eamon Marshall was the fourth-round pick out of USC this year. He's a big quarterback, 6'1", 210. There's a reason they call him Biggie. Um, not only can he be a defensive back, but he also gives the Ravens some potential special teams help, and that's critical because the Ravens you know, don't have Brendan Trowick for now. We'll talk about that a little later in the episode. They lost. Um, they had to get rid of Justin Bethel because that fourth-round pick was honestly— I, I love Justin Bethel. I love what he brought for us, but he, he, we could not keep him for a, a fourth-round pick to give up. Um, they've gotten production out of Bennett Jackson, I've noticed, in, in the uh, special teams, but you know, someone else on that special teams unit, maybe as a gunner or a blocker or something— the Ravens like to find these these rookies and use them and kind of get them integrated with the team that way. And Emma Marshall, bringing him in, no doubt, will probably be a special teams player um, before he really gets a lot of time in that secondary. Now, Emma Marshall next year, though, um, that's a whole different story. He'll be in his second year with the team. Jimmy Smith is not likely to be here. I'm not sure about Brandon Carr either. He could be out. So Marcus Peters, if he stays, you know, will be pretty heavily focused on this defense with Marlon Humphrey, they'll be the two cornerbacks, assuming they can extend Peters, um, but they'll need a third guy, and without Jimmy Smith, without Brandon Carr, you know, Tavon Young will be that slot guy, but Emin Marshall could be that third cornerback, um, you know, Anthony Averett's in there too, but disappointing year, not so much high expectations for him in year three, I believe he's going into, but Emin Marshall, I hope to see some production out of this year, so we can see a little bit of him next year, and, and see an expanded role for um, the corner out of USC. Uh, whether that'll happen, we don't know, though. Of course, this Ravens secondary is stacked right now, so we don't know how much production he's going to get. Now, the Ravens had to make three cuts, um, well, not three cuts, but three removals from the roster in order to make room for those three players. And the first player they, they, they parted ways with is Cyrus Jones. Now, this should not be surprising to anybody who watched the New England Patriots game, to anybody following the situation around Cyrus Jones. Um, Everybody kind of expected Cyrus Jones essentially to be cut, um, and that's and that's really because he hasn't been a fantastic punt returner, hasn't made a lot of returns that you could go wow over this year, and he had a big fumble 
in um, what was it so last second to last Sunday now that game against the New England Patriots he had a fumble and it wasn't something the Ravens can really you know look at and say oh, it's, it's okay because this guy hasn't had a lot of success he's not Jacoby Jones we haven't had a Jacoby Jones since Jacoby Jones so the Ravens are continually trying to find ways to improve their the return specialist game now they did that with DeAnthony Thomas, who I was impressed with against Cincinnati, had a uh, one, I think it was a punt return, where he basically escaped an arm tackle and, and got an extra nine yards. So he's got a lot of fight. Now, DeAnthony Thomas has some fumble problems himself, but I believe that it's still an upgrade from Cyrus Jones. And the reason I thought they kept Cyrus Jones, because they originally cut Maurice Kennedy to make room for DeAnthony Thomas, even though Maurice Kennedy was doing a lot better than he had ever been at the cornerback position. The reason I thought they were going to keep Cyrus Jones was because they wanted to use him in nickel packages as a true corner and just leave it at that. Or they either weren't sure about what exactly DeAnthony Thomas was going to do for them, so they wanted to make sure he was around. Turns out it's the latter of the two because, you know, Cyrus Jones was inactive completely for Sunday's game against the Cincinnati Bengals, and he had he would have had no effect anyway because, you know, the secondary is so deep, and look, it tells you something if they like Bennett Jackson, and no disrespect to Bennett Jackson, but Bennett Jackson came in mid-season this year, and it tells you something if they approve him more than Cyrus Jones. They don't want Cyrus Jones to be in the special teams or even on the defense anymore, and that was evident. They made the cut on Tuesday after the game. Once he was inactive, you knew he was gone. Now, another person somewhat in the same situation that Cyrus Jones is in is Chris Moore. Chris Moore with a thumb injury. Honestly, I kind of expect him to either be cut or placed on the IR by the end of the season. I mean, he hasn't done anything for the Ravens, and he's been a special teams player. You know, that's really his, his niche right now, his niche, because as a wide receiver, he's been very irrelevant. And these are two guys we thought would take an expanded role this year. Cyrus Jones with Tavon Younghurt was supposed to be the nickel corner. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened at all now because he's gone. Um, so, and then Chris Moore, you know, like Cyrus Jones, not being able to produce at his main position, right? Cyrus Jones is a corner that plays return specialist. Chris Moore is a is a return specialist as well. A special teams guy that plays wide receiver, and he's made a, a very insignificant impact this year as well. Um, so a, a similar fate could be coming for Chris Moore. Now, I don't want to speculate that really, um, but it has it has to be noted that he, if the Ravens make another move soon, he could be at the blunt of it. Um, but according to sources, the Denver Broncos actually picked up Cyrus Jones, which is, honestly, I'm happy for Cyrus Jones because I think he does have value for some teams out there, but not for the Ravens. Now, you know, going to Denver, at least he will probably get some time playing corner as well because that Denver defense, I mean, it's stout, but of course they're pretty much gone for the year, so they're going to try people out, see what they can do for the next couple of years. Uh, maybe he'll earn an extension in Denver, so at least I'm happy for him to end up somewhere. But his time in Baltimore is over. He had 9.4 yards per return this year. Now, compare that to last year with Baltimore, Cyrus Jones. In 11 games with the Ravens last year as a return man, 14.4 yards per return. Tale of two different seasons. Complete difference. 14.4 is very good as a returner. I'm sorry, that's a punt return. But still, I mean, and then, you know, he didn't do any kick returning this year. He only had one kick return last year, I believe. 
punt returning last year, 14.4 yards. This year, 9.4 yards. That's five yards less every single punt. And you can see where that stacks up. He's really lucky the Ravens' offense is so good because it doesn't matter really where they start. Um, it, it, it doesn't. But Cyrus Jones, no longer a Baltimore Raven. Hopefully he can get better in Denver. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes for him. Now, the next Raven that had to get cut was Ufamba Kamalu, and it's not exactly the worst situation for Ufamba Kamalu because the Ravens essentially just downgraded him, um, and we'll talk about his practice squad situation now that he's on the practice squad in a second here when we get to him and Marcus Abelfield uh, in that segment, but Ufamba Kamalu, you know, he was signed off the Patriots practice squad in the bye week. Now, the reasons for it, Obviously, the Ravens wanted defensive tackle depth, but this was right before the, the Patriots game. Some speculated they wanted inside information. That's why they signed him and Jordan Richards, the safety slash special teams guy. I don't really buy that. I think he was just probably the best defensive tackle available at the time for the Ravens to go get. That wasn't named Demata Pecco because Pecco they couldn't come to an agreement with. So Kamalu, he was a stopgap for some depth, was never active for a Baltimore Ravens game, never fit the scheme enough to, to be active and ultimately falls down to being cut um, from the team just two weeks later, essentially. Two games later. Didn't play a single snap. Um, but again, it's not all that bad for Kamala because he does end up on the Ravens practice squad, and we'll talk about him going on and Marcus Applefield going off as well. Um, and I'm glad he's on the practice squad, honestly, because I think he is a valuable asset for the Ravens. He's someone who knows you know, at least what the defense looks like, and he can develop maybe in that practice squad. Maybe they're going to bring him back into the um, – off-season roster we've yet to see what that'll that'll even look like we're not even close to that point yet but I always like to see players get a second chance and he's essentially getting that on the practice squad so at least he's, he's staying in Baltimore that's a good thing for him and now the final cut the Ravens are going to make here well actually it's not a cut it's actually being placed on the injured reserve and I think I mentioned him earlier in the episode and that's Dalen Mack is heading to the injured reserve 6-1-3-40 um, rookie out of Texas A&M. I think he was a fifth-round pick. I forgot to note that here, but don't hold me on that. Active for just one game this season, and I think he only had one snap in that game. Um, yeah, one snap. You know, obviously, it's not very good. But his role on the Ravens was really to be a depth defensive tackle. But, you know, dealing with some injuries, it's actually placed on the IR with a knee injury. So, you know, the, the Ravens are not going to sacrifice Dalen Mack for the present. There's no reason to. And they can get in Pecco, they can get in Ellis, and essentially let Dalen Mack finish the season on the IR. He's season-ending injured reserve. He can't come back after this and reevaluate his status at, on, as a Raven next season. Now, it's important he is ready for next season because Michael Pierce will be a free agent, I believe. Um, so, already that's a big... Big shoes to fill. Now, Michael Pierce this year kind of fell off a little bit with the and, of course, the injury now, but he doesn't look exactly the same as he used to. If Dalen Mack improves tremendously next year, and who's to say he hasn't right now? We haven't seen anything out of him. Um, let's see, say he looks really good in, in next year, um, next year's offseason, next year's preseason, could very well end up with a large role on this Ravens defensive front. He's a big dude. I mean, this this guy earned the name Mack Truck for a reason. He pulled or pushed or whatever a truck for like half a mile straight. So this dude's strong. He's big. He he definitely, I think, has a lot of potential on this Ravens defensive line. And the Ravens are great at finding defensive linemen late in the draft. That's what he is. Um, officially, 
again, I think he was a fifth-round pick. I don't have it here. I can't find it. Um, but out of Texas A&M, he definitely has the potential to develop for the Baltimore Ravens, and I think this is a good move. Overall, just to save him for next year, don't worry about ex- exciting him this year, exciting that injury any more than it needs to be. Okay, so that's all the moves the Ravens made on Tuesday. Then the Ravens also made some practice squad moves. I believe it was the next day. As I said, Ofamba Kamalu was placed on the practice squad after being um, cut from the Ravens' 53-man roster. And to make room on the practice squad, they had to cut Marcus Applefield. Now, for those that don't know anything about Marcus Applefield, he was an undrafted rookie this past year, free agent out of the University of Virginia, um, he's an offensive tackle. He spent time with the Ravens this offseason. And this is actually his second time on the practice squad. He was signed immediately to the practice squad out of the gate um, right after cuts. I think September 1st, and that was cut September 8th, I believe. I'm not exactly sure if these dates are correct. But that's essentially the timetable. Then he came back um, last week, and now he's off the team again. Now, the I posited last week when he was signed to the practice squad that this was a move essentially to ensure the Ravens had an emergency plan for Ronnie Stanley because Ronnie Stanley was a little bit banged up after the Patriots game. But Ronnie Stanley seems healthy. He's a very good left tackle. I was talking to Ken McCusick about Ronnie Stanley uh, on our on the Film Study podcast when I was on. Overall, fantastic tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think he's the best tackle in the league right now, but he's one of the better ones. And, you know, having him being injured, especially, you know, against a potential Bengals team that's not very good. You know, you don't want to have to overstress him in practice, overstress him in a game if they had to elevate Applefield. Uh, but it never came to that. Ronnie Stanley was okay. And now really the need for, for Marcus Applefield, they just don't have it anymore. So Applefield no longer on the, the, the practice squad. Ufamba Kamalu comes in. Now it doesn't mean for Applefield that his time with the Ravens is completely done. I also noted that the Ravens could definitely bring him on in a future contract at the end of the season in the offseason. Offseason roster, training camp. Um, you know, they Bennett Jackson is a player that they had, you know, they cut, let him go, they run him back again the next year, let him go, and now he's on the Ravens um, again. So there are guys, I think Robertson Daniel was around for a couple of years. There are guys that kind of hang around the Ravens offseason program for a few years as the Ravens evaluate them further, see if there's any additional production. Applefield, I think, could be one of those guys, but you know we won't know until that signing is made, if it's made, this offseason. Um, moving on now, th- another piece of Ravens news. I mean, we have a lot of news this week. I mean, the half of the show is going to be news this week. The Ravens designated Brendan Trowick to return from the IR, and that's that's pretty big. That's pretty big news right there. Brendan Trowick, obviously, this is his second stint with the Ravens. He was on the Ravens from 2013 to 2015, I believe, 2016, somewhere in there, as a defensive backslash special teams player. I think he's a Pro Bowl as a special teams. Yes, he's a Pro Bowl as a special teams player. Um, was doing well for the Ravens. They had some good uh, plays out of him until in the second game he injured his elbow and had to be placed on the IR after missing practices. In games, I think they, they didn't put him on the IR right away. Um, and now he's eligible to return in week, I don't know what week it is, but December 8th, the Bills game. Um, and he can practice until then. The Ravens, you know, you, when you get placed on the practice squad, you have to miss eight games. That is what every player has to do if they're placed on the practice squad. They can't play for eight games. That's why we have to wait till December 8th. But he can practice right now. So the Ravens 
can evaluate his status, and if they don't want to activate him for the injured reserve, I believe they still can pull um, that lever and put him back on the injured reserve for the rest of the year. But honestly, I think he will probably be active for the game. Now they're going to have to make a roster move to allow for a roster spot to open for Trawick. I'm not going to you know, name any names who I think that might be. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but Trawick, I think, would be a valuable asset back for the Ravens, especially heading down the road to the playoffs, bringing in a tough special teams guy who can make some tackles for you with Bennett Jackson as well if he stays around on this roster. Um, would be very valuable to the Baltimore Ravens heading down the stretch, looking to make the playoffs, and of course chasing the elusive Super Bowl that Lamar Jackson promised when he was drafted. So whether or not you know the Ravens decide to bring Trowick back, it's going to depend on his practice um, evaluations. But honestly, I do think that he has a very good chance of being um, brought back for that December 8th game for the Bills. Um, a very, very high chance, I would say. Now, the Ravens are not facing the Bills this week. This week, they are facing the Houston Texans. And one of the most anticipated matchups of the year so far, you know, the Patriots game was huge. This game is huge as well. So um, without further ado, let's take a look, as we always do, at the Ravens' injury situation heading into this week. Um, there are a few players on the injury report. Not all of them are on here with injury-related um, absences, like Brandon Carr was out on Wednesday's practice. And again, for those of you that are new here, we don't have Friday's practice at the time of this recording um, documented, so we don't know who missed Friday's practice, who was a limited participant, who was a full participant. We are going off of the Wednesday to Thursday change. That's how we're going to try to assess the Ravens' situation here. So um, Brandon Carr, Mark Ingram, Jimmy Smith, and Brandon Williams all missed a practice this week with a non-injury-related absence. Brandon Williams missed it on Thursday, Brandon Carr on Wednesday was a full participant on Thursday, Mark Ingram on Wednesday, full participant on Friday, um, and Jimmy Smith was a was was out on Wednesday, was a full participant on Friday, so those are guys you don't have to worry about, Carr, Ingram, Smith, and Williams. Guys you might want to worry about is Michael Pierce, ankle injury did not participate on both Wednesday and Thursday, unless something changes today, the day of this recording, Friday. I don't believe Michael Pierce will play. Um, sorry, my phone just lit up. I thought we had an actual uh, injury update, but we don't yet. Um, so Michael Pierce, I don't think he's going to play on Sunday. I highly doubt it. Um, then you've got Earl Thomas dealing with a knee injury. Didn't participate on Wednesday, although he's, it's listed as knee slash not injury related. So I don't know exactly what that what's going on there. But he was a full participant in Thursday's practice, so I don't see any reason why he would miss the game. Chris Moore, I don't expect to play. He was limited on thir Wednesday and Thursday with a thumb injury. He's a receiver. You're going to need your thumb to catch the ball. And plus, he's, I mean, he, I don't even know if he's caught a ball all year. He hasn't been doing much for the Ravens at all. I would not be surprised, even if he was healthy, if they just kept him inactive for the entire rest of the season. Marquise Brown has an ankle injury, was limited on Wednesday, but regressed on Thursday and did not participate. That's concerning, although the Ravens, rested Marquise Brown on Friday's practice last week, uh, and he had a huge impact against the Bengals. Maybe they're doing the same thing here. I can't say. The way they've been treating Marquise Brown has been essentially with as much caution as possible, so I don't know the full details on that. I'm not going to have—I'm really not going to be able to speculate on Marquise Brown's situation, but I don't believe Chris Moore or Michael Pierce would play. Um, I believe Earl Thomas will play, and everybody who's not—who's uh, out with a non-injury-related absence— 
is going to play unless something happens um, between now and Sunday. So with that being being taken care of, we're going to hit a little commercial break in the middle of this episode here. And once again, thank our sponsor, Property Inspection Pros. As I said earlier, and as you all know, purchasing a home can be very stressful and filled with uncertainty. Property Inspection Pros aims to remove all your doubt and smooth the acquisition process with a thorough professional service. Their certified professional inspectors provide thorough assessments of every area of the home, then issue a detailed, comprehensive digital report within 24 hours of the inspection. They offer superior convenience and customer service with inspections scheduled on Sunday and again, even during evening hours. In addition to the standard daytime appointments, you know, Property Inspection Pros has over 200 five-star reviews. There's no wonder why they're the best rated Baltimore home inspection service. Um, you can call them today at 410-709-8144 or log on to mdinspectionpros.com. And once again, Ravens fans, FOCO.com, one of the best and leading um, producers of NFL merchandise, of, of, of official licensed team merchandise, is offering, I mean, this is a limited time offer. This only goes to December 12th. 10% off your entire order. So that's if it's a $100 order, you're getting it for $90. If it's a $60 order, you're getting it for $54. You're getting 10% off no matter, it doesn't have to be Ravens products. Anything you want from FOCO.com, all you have to do is use the promo code FEATHER10 at checkout. That's Ravens gear, Orioles gear, Capitals gear. Maybe you're a Yankees fan. I don't know how that's possible, but maybe you are a Yankees fan. You want some Yankees gear? Boom, FEATHER10, 10% off your order. It's great for the holidays. There's some really cool products I'm going to get for myself. There's a light-up Ravens um, beanie Santa Claus hat type of thing. One of the coolest Ravens merchandise pieces ever. You can find that there. It's not out yet. I think it's a pre-order, but I'm probably going to pre-order that for myself. In all honesty, if you want a 10% off, it's only $30, but you want a 10% off, Feather 10 for your 10% off purchase on everything at FOCO.com. So make sure you use that promo code. helps me out, and it helps you out too, saving you some money on some epic Ravens gear uh, for yourself and your family and friends this holiday season. So I'm thinking about adding some um, recurring segments on the Nest Talk podcast here, and one of them I'm thinking about, let me know what you guys think of this, is This Week in Stupid. Essentially highlighting a very bad take, whether it's on Twitter, um, whether it's on a, a, to- a talk show, a podcast, someone who makes a very bad Ravens take. I'd like to like to add that to the show. Let me know what you guys think about this and that wh- whether or not it should become a recurring segment here. Um, and the first, and, and you know, I don't like punching down on people, right? I'm not going to go after somebody who, you know, doesn't know some fact or something and be like, well, haha, you know, you don't know what the QBR formula is, right? I, I'm not going to do that. It has to be a take that is so atrociously bad and someone who is so serious in saying it and doesn't care what the consequences of saying it are, whether it's a person in the public media, whether it's a person publicly on Twitter garnering attention and fighting back that attention. You know, I'm not going to go after a, a four, four-year-old who says he, he prefers the Steelers over the Ravens, but, you know, someone who says something really stupid we're gonna we're gonna highlight it and say essentially, look, you know, this is why it's wrong, um, and maybe misspell, misspell some misconceptions here. So this weekend, stupid, we have at Quantrell Martin on Twitter. One of the if you follow us at Be More Feather, you may have seen this tweet. I said it's this is probably the worst take in the history of football takes ever. I mean, this is the absolute worst take I've ever seen, and there's no question about it. And he says with his enlightened words. And I think he's a Browns fan, I think. I'm not exactly sure. But he says, 
and and don't go after this guy. Don't. There's no reason to go after him, but I want to highlight this here. The reason Lamar Jackson doesn't get flustered, he says, like second-year quarterbacks, is because he's not intelligent enough to be able to figure out what they're doing. It's crazy where his stupidity helps him. End quote. First of all, how on earth do you come to that conclusion? I mean, really. How does any sane person say, you know what really helps Lamar Jackson? Not his athletic ability. It's not his arm. It's not his speed. It's not his intense love of the game, and it's not the hard work he puts into it. No. It's he's too stupid to figure out what's going on there, so he just improvises and everything works out. You know, I was interacting with a, a podcaster, some of you guys might know, on YouTube, Joe Nubo on Twitter, and he said, this guy has got to be a troll, and I really hope he's a troll. I, I really hope so, because honestly, if this is a serious take, I have no words for it. I have absolutely, I mean, this is the kind of thing, like, you know, I don't even know. I mean, look, Lamar Jackson, I know he's probably not the smartest man in the world, right? I'm not the smartest man in the world. You know, Lamar Jackson didn't score very highly on the Wonderlick, even though the Wonderlick is a flawed system. I mean, honestly, if you ever see the questions, it's kind of stupid what they, you know, <laughs> what they what they make quarterbacks all the through hoops they jump through if they hadn't prepped for it they, I mean I don't think any quarterback would do very well if they don't prep for it it's you know not like an SAT or anything it's like an IQ test that's kind of weird um, but I mean honestly even if this guy is trolling this is probably a position that a lot of people out there think about it's that Lamar Jackson is ridiculously stupid and I'm not gonna give motives to anybody. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, if you listen to him speak, he, he, he's stupid because he can't speak, you know, like, like, like me, like a podcast or something, like an average person. And look, Lamar Jackson has that Southern draw or whatever it is to him. He's not the best at public speaking, but he's what, he's like, what, 22 years old? I mean, g- give him a break. It's, he, he, you don't have to be the best speaker in the world. And honestly, from the first time I ever heard him speak as a Raven to now, I mean, he's gotten more comfortable up there. He's he's better at talking. He's, you know, not the easiest to understand at times, but it doesn't mean he's stupid. I mean, I think it's just a really – I don't understand how you could possibly make this take. It has to be a troll. It has to be a troll post. And even if it is a troll post, I'm still going to criticize it because it's so stupid to say. I mean, this is the stupidest take I've ever seen in my life, that, you're too, that a quarterback can be so stupid, that he can be so stupid – that it helps him because he doesn't know what's going on. If he didn't know what was going on, he'd be throwing picks every single time because he wouldn't be able to identify coverages. He'd be running into brick walls because he wouldn't see the um, pass rushing schemes coming at him. I think Lamar Jackson has a very high football IQ to counter this point. I really do. I think he has, you know, I compared him to, you know, in a hyperbole sense, hyperbolic sense, to Bill Walsh's football IQ. I He's not Bill Walsh, okay? Bill Walsh, you know, was it was an offensive mastermind revolutionized the game, but he's got a very high football IQ as well. Lamar Jackson does, and it's evident in the way he plays. He's able to read coverages. He's he reads them better than Baker Mayfield. Let's put it that way. So I don't know how you could possibly say that Lamar Jackson is so stupid that he's not intelligent enough to figure out what they're doing and it helps him because he doesn't get flustered. 
I think he would be overwhelmed. If he was so stupid that he didn't know what was going on, he'd be overwhelmed out there and still be very flustered. He doesn't get flustered because he knows he's a better athlete. He identifies the coverages. He's got a better arm than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL do. And, and the working on those mechanics this offseason really improved him. And again, don't go out and, and attack this guy on Twitter. I'm 99% sure this is a troll post. He's, he's got to be a troll account. There's no way that you can be this stupid to make that take. There's no possible way. So that's this week in Stupid. If you guys have a, 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 a suggestion for a take that's bad, send it my way, and maybe I'll consider it. I'm not sure if this can become a running thing. You know, I don't like to directly criticize a lot of people, but you know, when, when a stupid take is made about the Baltimore Ravens that just doesn't make any sense, you can't let it go unheard. You, you can't or uncriticized. Because then it's disinformation. Um, and we want to set the record straight. Even if, look, even if someone's praising the Ravens for that, something that's that's not true, like um, someone's saying the Ravens have had one of the best defenses all year, obviously that wouldn't be true because this this the opening part of this year was one of the worst defenses. Um, I believe it was Dan Fouts incorrectly said in Sunday's game that Lamar Jackson rarely throws in the pocket. That's 100% not true if you look at the stats. Not exactly stupid. It's not so much as a take. It's just a mis misspeaking, mischaracterization of his game. But anything you guys want me to highlight as as a bad take, let me know, and we'll we'll think about putting that in the next week's episode. Um, but another thing, I mean, this isn't so much this, this stupid, but it's egregious and, and unacceptable in the National Football League, and that's what Miles Garrett did to Mason Rudolph in last night's. Um, Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers game now. For those of you unaware, you know, I, I didn't watch the full game. I was pretty busy last night, um, but stayed up on the score for a little bit. And then on Twitter, uh, like, I logged on Twitter, like, immediately after it happened. And just all these tweets, Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett. I'm like, what is going on with Miles Garrett? And then I see this video. Essentially what Miles Garrett did, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that do, you don't need the explanation. You're visualizing it in your head right now. For those of you that don't know, Miles Garrett ripped off um, while there were it was like one minute left in the fourth quarter or something like that maybe three minutes left and they're up fourteen points so the game is pretty much done he he tackles um, Mason Rudolph on a sack trying to sack him but Mason Rudolph already threw the ball and he like kind of wiggles him down to the ground and Mason Rudolph wasn't happy so he's kind of like shoving to get Garrett off of him. Um, you know, and the offensive linemen are looking like, well, where's the you know late hit or unnecessary roughness call? And you know, the shoving kind of goes both ways. And all of a sudden, Miles Garrett grips his face mask, right? He starts yanking on it. He yanks his face mask and he rips the helmet right off of Mason Rudolph. All right, so that, that's problem number one. That's already dangerous, because you know, one bad tug and that's a neck injury. Do you know how dangerous this could be in football? One back tug, and he's going face into the ground, and that's another concussion for Mason Rudolph. So, you know, that's terrible. First of all, that's the first problem. It, it kept going, though. It kept going. So Mason Rudolph is trying to get his helmet back, right? He, he's reaching for his helmet. Miles Garrett is kind of hiding behind. I think it was David DeCastro who was kind of trying to separate the two. And then all of a sudden, Miles Garrett takes the helmet, swings at Mason Rudolph, and hits him right on the crown of his head with the helmet. Okay, and that is, I don't care. You know, it's not deadly, usually. That's extremely dangerous, though. That is so dangerous to do to somebody. That's a projectile in the air. That's a hard helmet made to withstand hits coming down on somebody's bare head. That is extremely dangerous. It probably wouldn't have killed Mason Rudolph if it hit wrong. 
but it sure as well could have hurt him tremendously. Tremendously. And obviously, that's when everything broke loose. Marquise Pouncey came in and, and started punching Miles Garrett, David DeCastro. Honestly, David DeCastro was the only level-headed person in this entire thing because, you know, Mason Rudolph isn't entirely innocent. I mean, obviously, he got the really bad end of this. But he, you know, he had the original pushing and shoving. It doesn't take away what Miles Garrett does, though. That's the worst thing that happened. You know, pushing and shoving happens in a football game. Miles, Miles Garrett should have been the bigger man, you know, figuratively and literally because, you know, he literally is the bigger man. I just let Mason Rudolph go and, and just not deal with him. But he escalated the situation far, far beyond what happened. And Pouncey comes in and starts attacking him. David DeCastro, the most level-headed person in this entire fiasco, essentially to stop the fight, just pushes Garrett down to the ground and, like, just covers him. And just, that's it. So, you know, anybody really criticizing DeCastro out there, I really don't see how you could do that. I think he was the most level-headed person. And then Ogunjobi, right, or whatever his name is, comes in and pushes Mason Rudolph to the ground. Like, Mason Rudolph is just standing there at this point, watching the whole thing unfold. I think it's Larry Ogunjobi, something like that, comes in and just pushes him to the ground, just standing there. I mean, that, that is the – why to even escalate that further? So numerous suspensions happened. Um, let me see if I can pull these up for you because it actually happened maybe an hour ago. All these suspensions came down from the NFL. Miles Boy, not Miles Boykin, Miles Garrett is indefinitely suspended from NFL play. Indefinitely suspended. Without pay. The minimum of the remainder of the regular season and postseason. He's going to have to meet with Commissioner Goodell. Um, and I would imagine he's going to have to go through some psychological evaluation because honestly, there's no way in my mind that a healthy, mentally healthy individual could attack a defenseless person like that. I mean, I don't care what Mason Rudolph did. I don't care what Mason Rudolph said to him. That is not how you react to a situation, especially with that power dynamic there. Ripping off his helmet and then using that helmet, a projectile at a defenseless... Literally, I mean, there's, you know, the defenseless receiver thing can sometimes be stupid in the NFL because, you know, they're catching the ball. Obviously, they're going to be defensive, defenseless, but you got to make a tackle. When it's after the play... And, I mean, you're essentially using a weapon to attack somebody on the football field. I don't care what Mason Rudolph said. I don't care if Mason Rudolph tried to rip off your helmet. I don't care if Mason Rudolph punched you in the face, wherever. That is entirely unacceptable. And he, this is the right decision by the NFL to definitely suspend him for at least the rest of um, the season. Pouncey has been suspended without pay for three games for punching and kicking. I mean, you know, when when someone does that to, to your teammate, to your quarterback, to someone you feel like you're a brother with, it's very difficult to hold back. I can't really, you know, I, I can't really blame Marquise Pouncey there. Especially, I mean, if you remember what happened with Flacco, not to bring up a bad memory here, but in 2017, the Kiko Alonso hit. I mean, I'm sure 90% of us out there were relieved that Ryan Jensen was, was able to go in and stick up for Joe Flacco and essentially, you know, not attack Kiko Alonso, but, you know, give him a what for for that. You know, your offensive lineman being a protector of your quarterback, if they just did nothing, I'd be kind of questioning what happened. But at least it shows that there's some, you know, respect for one another there. And, you know, it's unacceptable and something had to be done. 
and Pouncey took it on himself. Whether or not it's the right thing to escalate a situation, I honestly, in my heart, I really can't blame him for that. So another suspension. Um, Ogunjobi was suspended for a game, fine additional amount uh, for the unnecessary roughness. That was the hit on Mason Rudolph. He was just standing there at that point without his helmet, just watching the whole brawl unfold. And Ogunjobi pushed him to the floor for no apparent reason. I mean, he was just standing there. The, I, that I don't get. And that was probably the stupidest move of all. Because he definitely saw what happened. I don't know why he would come up and just push him to the ground. Um, the NFL says there's additional discipline for other players coming. Um, so I have no idea whether Mason Rudolph is going to be suspended for the punching and kicking he gave to Miles Garrett at first or whatever he said. I don't know. Maybe the official heard it. But something ticked off Miles Garrett. And, you know, he's had some issues all year. And, and, and honestly, I don't want to spend too much time on this because this isn't, you know, the Ravens here. But this is a Cleveland problem. There's no discipline in Cleveland. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., was punching Marlon Humphrey and trying to rip his helmet off. What did Freddie Kitchens do about that? Nothing. Essentially just blame Marlon Humphrey. What does Freddie Kitchens do about anything? Miles Garrett has had some other issues this year. I don't know the specifics, but according to all accounts, he's not been the cleanest player this year. Not a single fine, not a single suspension, no punishments for, for any antics. Freddie Kitchens is way over his head. And let me tell you something. If this was John Harbaugh's team... And Miles Garrett did that. Honestly, I don't think that he would have had to wait for the NFL to make the decision. I think Harbaugh would have just suspended him right then, right there for the rest of the season and reconsidered his entire future with the Ravens. And that's the difference between these two teams. You have one strong head coach for the Baltimore Ravens that doesn't put up with this junk, would never put up with this junk. The Browns, so dysfunctional, don't know how to discipline their team. And not saying, like, you know, discipline like a little kid. Like, this is unacceptable. And the fact that it can't, it was, I mean, it's not tolerated. This is obviously isn't tolerated by the Browns. But, you know, it, does, does, it just doesn't happen overnight. You just don't wake up in the morning and say, let me, let me go out and do this to somebody. Something there has to have been repeated over and over and over again, actions to lead up to this point. Otherwise, it makes no sense. So, I mean, and look, I liked Miles Garrett. I really did. I thought he was a good guy coming out of the draft. And now you have this. He cannot be mentally healthy. I'm sorry. He just, he is not in a good position right now for himself. But back to the Ravens here. I mean, I had to touch on that because it was so gross for the NFL. Such a bad moment. You can't have that in National Football League. It's already dangerous enough. But back to, to the Ravens here. I want to talk about the game recap in Cincinnati. If you want a more in-depth version of my game recap, um, go check out the Cam Acoustic Film Study podcast that I went on about the offense. I talked maybe for an hour and 10 minutes about the offense in that game, so I had a ball doing that. Um, so I get really in-depth there. But, of course, here, you know, there's a few key points. First of all, I want to say congratulations to Greg Roman because Greg Roman is a, is a genius. He's a genius. What Greg Roman did to the Cincinnati Bengals is something that a lot of offensive coordinators would be way too chicken to do. Essentially, Greg Roman got away from what the Ravens typically do to exploit easy matchups. And what I mean by that is the Ravens are a power run team. They've been like this all season, except um, Miami, where they just slice and dice them to death. Um, there was a lot of passing in Arizona. There's a few games where they pass a lot, but 
against New England, they ran way more than than passed. Against Cincinnati, um, in the first game of the season, they ran way more than they passed. And the key to all those games was was keeping the ball on the ground, running the time of possession, giving those teams limited opportunities to make plays, to make drives where they could score points. That was the overall Ravens um, strategy. So the Bengals were completely prepared to go in and attempt to stop the run, to you know, force Mark Ingram, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, Lamar Jackson into situations where the running wasn't going to be as beneficial. Now, you know, it's the Bengals. They probably would have been able to run all over them. But the Ravens said, you know what? Let's make them an example to other teams. Let's just show them what we can do through the air, too, because they're not going to expect it. And the first play of the game reminded me of some of those Flacco moments when some of the first plays of the game, they just come out and sling it a couple times. It's exactly what they did. Marquise Brown, 49 yards to the air. First play of the game. Set the tone. Lamar Jackson would finish 223 in the air, 15 out of 17 attempts, three touchdowns. Two of them to Mark Andrews. The Ravens sliced and diced Cincinnati through the air. They didn't even win the time of possession. Now, of course, you know, time of possession here is going to be skewed a little bit because of the way the Ravens scored two defensive touchdowns. But 36-11, that's how much Cincinnati held it for. The Ravens held it for 23-49. Even with those two defensive touchdowns, the way the Ravens dominated on the ground, you'd be so convinced that it would be a much closer score, but it wasn't. Mark Ingram only had like 34 yards on the ground on nine attempts. The Ravens were committed to the pass this entire game. Lamar finished with a perfect passer rating again this season, 158.3. That's the second time he's done it this season. It's the second time, or it's the first time since Ben Roethlisberger did it in like 2007 or some ridiculous thing. Two, pa- two perfect passer ratings in a year. Which honestly surprises me. I would have expected it to be more than that. But still. And Lamar Jackson cements himself as an MVP front runner with this because there's no way to stop him. And, he, and, and I mean, he was taken out in the fourth quarter. These numbers would have been even inflated more if he played in the fourth quarter. The Ravens scored so many points. The defense took care of two drives. They, the Ravens didn't have, were missing two offensive drives. Just imagine if he had two more drives. He would have had, at, and say in the third quarter, well above 300 passing yards. I think he was. Air player of the week again. He also had that 47-yard Houdini run, as Kevin Harlan said. I mean, insane day for Lamar Jackson. And really, Greg Roman coming out of the gate, dedicating himself to the pass with tight ends too. Nick Boyle's impact in this game was extreme. Not just as a blocker, but as a pass catcher. You don't expect Nick Boyle to go over 70 yards receiving, do you? Because that's what he did. And the Bengals had no matchup for him. They had no matchup for Hayden Hurst, no matchup for Mark Andrews. There were three Ravens, Ravens tight ends that caught a pass. Only two receivers caught a pass. Willie Sneed caught two passes for 12 yards. Marquise Brown got like 80 yards on, on four catches or some ridiculous number. Or three catches, whatever it is, because, you know, his speed. But the Ravens being able to diversify this offense, really getting to the passing attack now. It's really amazing. And and hats off for that Heisman play that RG3 apparently came up with the idea for and, and Roman implemented it, the pitch to RG3. As, as I said to, to Ken, you know, teams are going to have to prepare for that. 
for at least the next four games, teams are going to look at that and say, what happens if the Ravens run this? And how do you even defend that? How? With a triple option? <laughs> With three Heisman guys, RG3, Lamar Jackson, and Mark Ingram in the backfield? I have absolutely no clue how you can possibly defend that. So, I mean, hats off to Greg Roman for this, this entire um, game plan that really destroyed Cincinnati Bengals. Hats off to Lamar Jackson for being a fantastic MVP candidate player. Um, just a fantastic game. Great diversification by Greg Roman. Now, moving on to our final section here for the podcast today, and that's the look ahead as we always do to the next game. And this time we've got the Houston Texans. Now the Houston Texans are sitting at 6-3. and three. They are a contender for the Super Bowl and, of course, a contender for a first-round bye as well. Really one of the Ravens' main competitions for this first-round bye. I say that because a win by the Texans here would even the playing field between them and give the Texans the, um, the tiebreaker should the Ravens and Texans finish the same record. If they both get the 7-3, there's a very good chance they do finish the same record, and then the Texans would get that tiebreaker. If the Baltimore Ravens beat the Texans, they, they get to eight wins, so they at least finish 500 on the year. Plus, they have a tiebreaker over the Texans. So if they got to 11 wins and the Texans got to 11 wins, then right out the gate, the, the Ravens would have that, that edge on them in the seating and, of course, probably a first-round bye if that's the case. Now, you know, that's the playoff implication. Can the Ravens win this game? It's going to come down. To, it's going to be a really good game. We're going to have three key players, and, of course, we want to look over and see their injury report. Now, there are a few players injured. None of them are on this injury report um, with a non-injury-related absence. So that's interesting for the Ravens, at least. Um, Dylan Cole, the inside linebacker, has a knee injury. was limited in both Wednesday and Thursday's practice. Again, we don't have Friday's practice for these guys. They're in the central time zone, so we, you know, we, they practice later than the Ravens as well, so we're not even going to bother waiting. Will Fuller, the wide receiver, hamstring injury, limited practice on Wednesday, limited on Thursday as well. Deshaun Gibson Sr., the safety, has a back-slash-wrist injury. He is limited both on Wednesday and Thursday. Essentially, everybody's limited every day on this. Titus Howard, guard-slash-tackle, knee injury, limited Wednesday, limited Thursday. Bradley Roby, former Denver Bronco cornerback, hamstring injury, limited Thursday and the Wednesday practice. Laramie Tunsil, the former uh, Miami Dolphin tackle, has a shoulder injury. He was limited on Wednesday and limited on Thursday as well. So all these guys could play depending on their Friday status. All of them maybe could be absent. Um, you know, it entirely depends on how the Texans coaching staff, how the medical staff evaluates their situation for Sunday's game. And really, you know, the biggest missing piece here for the Texans would be Laramie Tunsil, their left tackle. You know, if he plays, then it's the two left tackles in the top 10 of the 2015 draft going up against each other, right? Laramie Tunsil was picked 10th, although he was supposed to be picked first. Ronnie Stanley was picked before Tunsil, and, you know, the whole don't want to get too into it here, but the whole incident around Tunsil through the social media video of him doing a certain drug um, was spread like wildfire. It was released during the draft, and it cost him millions of dollars for slipping down. Um, you know, that was huge, for huge travesty um, for him, honestly. But, you know, the Ravens said they, they liked Ronnie Stanley more than Tunsil to begin with. They said, I, don't, I think they said he wasn't even on their board 
before the incident. They didn't take him off the board at all. He just wasn't there. They wanted Stanley. That's the guy they got. And the Dolphins wanted Tunsil. That's the guy they want. But obviously, their whole crazy rebuilding fiasco now probably won't even get the first pick with Cincinnati uh, tanking so hard with, with, with their situation. But Tunsil now in Houston, I mean, it, it would be an interesting matchup to see him and Stanley on the same field, but we may not see that. Now, the three key players for the Houston Texans to win this game, a couple are obvious, one I want to highlight, not super obvious, but I think would be an interesting matchup to follow throughout the game. The first is the most obvious. It's the other MVP candidate. The Ravens have faced like two MVP candidates so far, Russell Wilson and now Deshaun Watson. Now, when you look at the MVP race, Excuse me. When you look at the MVP race, there are three players who are atop the conversation of most people. There's Russell Wilson, there's Lamar Jackson, and there's Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, those are the three guys that honestly are really in the running for MVP. Pat Mahomes, not so much this year, having a good year, but he's probably not going to win MVP. Christian McCaffrey, you know, a lot of people are talking about him, but honestly, I don't see it. Although he really could win it. I think he'll win Offensive Player of the Year. Sean Watson is, is a quarterback very much like Lamar. And all these mobile quarterbacks are taking over the NFL. Russell Wilson really is, is the oldest one here. But he's still doing very well. Watson, like Lamar Jackson, um, lots of running ability, has a great arm. But the thing about Watson's game is a little different than Lamar. Lamar has a lot more design runs than Watson does. And I think Lamar is faster than Watson. And more agile more um, elusive than Watson. Watson is a great player in his own right, and I thought he was the best quarterback coming out of that draft class. He was in uh, the 2017 draft class, you know, with with uh, Pat Mahomes. I think that was Mr. Trubisky's draft class too. Um, I thought that Sean Watson was the absolute best quarterback, and I, th- I think, you know, overall, Pat Mahomes is fantastic too. He was unexpectedly great, but Watson's a fantastic quarterback. And these two guys going up, it's going to be very fun to watch. You know, in Seattle, it was a super rainy day. You didn't have a lot of offensive fireworks. But there were some great plays in there. I think this is going to be one of the best games of the year for for the NFL, at least in terms of viewer base. And I think it's going to be a very great matchup for the Ravens fans to watch, too. What can Deshaun Watson do to this Ravens defense to give the Texans the edge? And on the flip side, what can the Ravens defense do to Deshaun Watson to give them the edge? Not exactly sure because it's going to be very difficult to bottle him up. He's a fantastic player in this MVP conversation for a reason, but the Ravens will need to do something to try and limit his impact on the game. Now, another player that's going to be key to the to the Texans' um, game plan is Whitney Merciless. Now, Merciless is their best pass rusher with J.J. Watt out. He's got, I think, five and a half sacks this year. They're still going to need to protect Lamar. I mean... He's not the biggest threat because the Texans, obviously five and a half sacks, not the best you know, possible number this deep into the season, but he's still their best pass rusher. And, you know, if Ronnie Stanley is a little banged up still, which I don't think he is, but if, if, if for some reason he re-aggravates something, it could be a problem. Now Lamar Jackson is super elusive. How many sacks is he going to take? I don't know. Um, but you want to keep him upright. You always want to keep your quarterback upright. And, you know, the Ravens may try to do a lot of passing again this this game, like they did in Cincinnati, they might try to open up the, the the vertical offense and getting Marquise Brown down the field. He's super fast, but it's going to take a couple seconds, and you're going to need to be able to sit in the pocket for three, four, five seconds. And whoever's whoever's got Whitney Merciless is going to have to be able to give Lamar Jackson that time, whether it's Orlando Brown, whether it's 
Ronnie Stanley, whoever he lines up against. So that's going to be a crucial player for the Texans. And finally, it's Kenny Stills. And you're going to be asking me, why Kenny Stills? Why not DeAndre Hopkins? Hopkins is too easy to say it's going to be X-Factor. We know DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best wide receivers in the league right now. He's going up against Marlon Humphrey. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. But I'm more concerned about the Kenny Stills-Jimmy Smith matchup than I am about the Marlon Humphrey-DeAndre Hopkins matchup. Because Marlon Humphrey locked down OBJ. He's locked down Juju Smith-Schuster. He locked down Julio Jones last year. He's locked down basically every receiver that's going up against him. I'm not really sure how... DeAndre Hopkins is going to fare against Marlon Humphrey, but Jimmy Smith is in his 30s. Kenny Stills is one of the faster guys in the league. Very fast. Speed burner. Can Jimmy Smith keep up with Kenny Stills? Or can Kenny Stills get around Jimmy Smith enough times in order to exploit that matchup? Because with all eyes on DeAndre Hopkins... And even Will Fuller, if he's on, on the field with his hamstring injury, you know, him and Marcus Peters could be going at it. Kenny Stills is going to have to go up against the third corner. And Jimmy Smith is very good, but he's not a super speedy guy. Now, maybe they move him and Peters around to compensate for that. But, you know, a Stills versus Smith matchup I think would be very interesting to watch. And I think Stills could give the Texans the edge on offense that they need to get past this Ravens secondary. Because if they need to start moving pieces around, maybe that's the way the Texans can open up the secondary, which is much improved from the beginning of the year. This is not the same secondary that lost to the Cleveland Browns. It's an entirely different one. You know, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith is in. Josh Bynes and LJ Ford are not secondary members, but they're huge at the inside linebacker position. And, and you know, nothing against Peter and Wasso, but moving back to the, um, was he the will now? Moving back to the will, fantastic spot for him. Um, so those are our three key players, Sean Watson, Whitney Merciless, and Kenny Stills. You'll get our three key Ravens players on preview and predictions, which comes out um, tomorrow morning, maybe t- tonight if I have enough time to write it all. Um, special thanks to this week's sponsor again, Property Inspection Pros. Purchasing a home can be stressful and rife with uncertainty. Property Inspection Pros aims to remove all doubt and smooth the acquisition process with thorough professional service. Their certified professional inspectors provide thorough assessments of every area of the home. Then they issue a detailed, comprehensive digital report within 24 hours of the inspection. They offer superior convenience and customer service with inspections scheduled on Sunday and even during evening hours in addition to standard daytime appointments. With over 200 five-star reviews, it's no wonder why they're Baltimore's best home inspection service. Call them today at 410-709-8144 or go to the website at mdinspectionpros.com. That's 410-709-8144 or mdinspectionpros.com. Again, foco.com for the best Ravens merch. Use promo code or coupon code FEATHER10 at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase of all Ravens gear of all NFL gear, NCAA, Orioles, whatever, Red Sox, Steelers, if you want to buy it and burn it, whatever, you can get it 10% off. Finally, you can find us again at Nest Talk on Twitter, at Be More Feather on Twitter for the blog, and of course me, at Chris Linfun on Twitter. Search us up on Facebook, um, Baltimore Feather or the Nest Talk podcast there, and you can like us there. Go to BaltimoreFeather.com for the latest, greatest Ravens news and opinion articles. Subscribe to our email news list. That way you get all the latest news right into your email, so you don't even need to check anything except your email inbox. 
Um, if you're listening on iTunes, subscribe there and give us a rating for some feedback. And, of course, YouTube, like us or dislike us um, on YouTube. And, of course, subscribe there. If you have any questions you, or conversations you want me to have in next week's episode of Nest Talk, you can leave a comment on the YouTube um, video or tweet us at Nest Talk. Um, you know, or even send an email at info at baltimorefeather.com, whatever you prefer. So that's it for this week's episode of Nest Talk. Episode 53 is now concluded. We will see you next week after the Ravens hopefully beat the Houston Texans. And then we'll look ahead to the next game, which I believe um, is the Los Angeles Rams, which will be very interesting. Um, So I'm Chris Linfont signing out. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you next Friday.